I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. How good or bad is the 2020 running back class? What do the 49ers do now? And how much of a beast is Dalvin Cook? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. As always, we are recording this during Monday Night Football, but it's crazy. Half of the regular season is just about in the books. Our good friends Blair and Hassan opened. With this topic on the RV report, uh, which comes out every Monday morning, if you're not listening to that, you need to be. Um, but one of the key things that they were talking about to start off the show, Matt, was rest of season running back rankings. And we saw Dalvin Cook absolutely go insane against the Packers yesterday. He's been pretty darn tremendous this year. Rest of season, assuming that when Christian McCaffrey gets gets back into action and is at full health, who scores more points, Dalvin Cook or CMC? I think Dalvin Cook. Me too. Um, although, like, I don't want to be a, a prisoner of the moment, but uh, I think Mike Davis has done enough in Carolina to warrant stealing enough of the workload from Christian McCaffrey to give Dalvin Cook the edge here because uh, he's he's clearly looked great this year when he's been uh, when he's been healthy. It looked great last year. And Alexander Madison really failed to do enough uh, in his opportunity as the lead back uh, to make the Vikings think like, okay, we need to give we need to give him more work and take work away from Dalvin Cook. So yeah, I guess I'm I'm leaning Dalvin Cook. I can't believe he leads the league with eleven touchdowns from scrimmage, but uh, I guess that's a reality. Well, the weird thing, too, about Minnesota is you have a team, by all accounts, really struggling, yet Kirk Cousins has had only had two games this year where he's thrown more than uh, 27 passing attempts. Yeah, they're just, they're playing slow, and they're really focusing on the run. It's, I mean, you would think that an offense this antiquated really wouldn't be able to get anything going. And honestly, for the most part, we like we haven't been that impressed with this offense, but uh, it is so constricted to a few players uh, with Dalvin Cook and then Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson getting the vast majority of all of the production that those guys can still be productive enough uh, in an offense that really isn't that good. Yeah, and Dalvin Cook's been efficient this season, 1.47 PPR uh, points per opportunity number that you like to see, like you said, pretty concentrated on Cook. Um, I suppose the other players that get into the conversation for maybe that top three type of sphere and running back, obviously you have Alvin Kamara in there as well. I'm curious, do you think that Aaron Jones makes a compelling case for forcing his way into the conversation? Mm, Probably not. Um, I think Jamal Williams will probably steal enough of the workload, just like Mike Davis in Carolina. Um, But I mean, I guess someone has to be in the top three. And if we have Dalvin cook there and Alvin Kamara there, then, you know, like someone, but I would probably put Christian McCaffrey there ahead of Aaron Jones. And honestly, maybe I'd put Derrick Henry in the top three ahead of uh, Aaron Jones. But uh, yeah, I think Jamal Williams is going to steal enough of the work to make Aaron Jones uh, a pretty difficult top three candidate. Of course. And I don't know if you've seen this yet. Jamal Williams was in close contact with A.J. Dillon, yeah. who has contracted COVID. So we might actually see Jamal Williams miss a game or two. Who knows? But, you know, that doesn't really change your overarching point about Jones. 
uh, let me throw in a name here. Giovanni Bernard. Let's say <laughs> that Joe Mixon can't return. Is Giovanni Bernard flirting with that top three rest of season outlook? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. Right. He, he would be injured at some point. All right, that's probably fair. All right, uh, let's get into the injuries. Really, my biggest notes on injuries come out of San Francisco, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Jimmy Garoppolo out indefinitely. Um, how much of that actually relates to a, a an injury or uh, the team perhaps beating him up, roughing him up in the locker room to get him out? But he is out indefinitely. George Kittle looks like is basically going to be out for the rest of the fantasy season. Uh, what do you make of this in terms of the rest of the players in San Francisco from a fantasy perspective? Uh, it makes Jordan Reed kind of intriguing for when he comes back, uh, which probably won't be this week, but might be in, you know, rumored is, you know, quote unquote, like sometime soon. So, you know, I'm thinking maybe a week or so that uh, makes him intriguing. It makes Ayuk, I think, pretty intriguing right now um, because now he really does look like the top receiver on the team uh, as long as Debo Samuel is out. And then, you know, whenever Samuel returns, uh, he's also pretty intriguing. Um, you know, one of the things that has kind of held wide receivers back uh, in San Francisco for the past two seasons has just been the presence of George Kittle, you know, soaking up anywhere from like 24 to 28% of the targets. Uh, if he's not there, even if Jordan Reed does well, he's not going to demand nearly the target share uh, that we saw Kittle get. So that means a lot of opportunities could be there for Ayuk, who has looked pretty good, uh, I think, to this point in his career, um, especially when Samuel has been out. So uh, Ayuk immediately uh, is someone, I think, uh, I mean, trading for him might be kind of hard because I think people will be like, okay, now he finally has his opportunity. But uh, if you have him, you know, maybe previously he was someone who is on that start sit borderline. Now I think he's basically just an automatic start. Yeah. 11 targets, 91 yards, found the end zone, 94 air yards, 28% target share uh, with Kittle having the injury. It was really Ayuk and Kendrick Bourne. Uh, Kendrick Bourne saw 10 targets. Um, so to me, he feels like a guy that this offense is more or less going to funnel through. Then we also saw Tevin Coleman go down at the running back position. Um, not that he had done much this season, but he was a name that potentially could have gotten in there and controlled a little bit of that offense. Um, not that I think he would be taking target share away, but just another player that's removed from what was kind of a murky equation at one point, but it really feels like now from the running back side of things, the picture is a little bit more clear. The wide receiver picture is a little bit more clear. Um, unfortunate for Kittle, and I'm sure a lot of teams are suffering. Um, but I, I guess the natural follow-up there is, as far as Garoppolo being out, I don't think it really changes anything. You could maybe even spin spin it the other way and say that it's actually going to be a positive for the receivers. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's possible. I don't think... Uh... The drop from Garoppolo to Mullins is really that significant, if existent. You know, like it really, it's more of a lateral move than anything else. For sure. Um, were there any other injuries that you saw that you think we need to run through? Uh, I mean, there were, I feel like there were a number of them. T.Y. Hilton, uh, not that like he's really done anything at this point, but, uh, and he just he feels very droppable, and I'm sure there are some people who are holding on to him, just kind of hoping. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he's he's droppable at this point, or or pretty close to it. And so I'll be curious to see with him gone. Uh, maybe that means Michael Pittman can take a step forward. Uh, like that would be pretty exciting because like Pittman flashed a little bit, and he was a, a good prospect coming out of college. So maybe he's able to emerge as the number one. Yeah, that feels like a possibility. Um, we will have to see any others. If not, I'm going to get to some of the just notable. Uh, yeah, go highlights. for it. All right. Jerry Judy, team high of 10 targets for the Broncos. Of course, Tim Patrick was out with a hamstring injury. Odd when you have to make that qualifier. Uh, Judy only caught four of those 10 targets for 73 yards, but we will take it. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton, four of five targets for 82 yards and a touchdown. We also saw Noah Fant, seven of nine for 47 yards. Um, 
quick takeaways, obviously, here. It's good to see Judy get that level of involvement. And I'm just real, and I think that we've already talked about it this season, but I think to me right now, Noah Fant is looking like one of those players that's going to be at the top of the tight end list, tight end boards for a long time now. Um, Drew Locke, though, QBR of 72 at this point, 58% completion percentage, four touchdowns to five picks. Not great, Matt. Is that going to catch up <laughs> with Noah Fant, or does it not? It doesn't seem to have really plagued him yet. Um, give me, I guess, some just like high level thoughts on Drew Locke as it relates to this team being one that can produce fantasy points. Uh, I mean, I think he certainly caps them. Um, no one has really been incredibly efficient uh, to this point in the season. Like Fant hasn't been as good at turning his targets into yards. Um, you know, kind of similar thing with, uh, with Judy. I don't know. There's just something, I mean, Locke is just, he's still very inconsistent and he hasn't started even 16 games yet. So, you know, we just have to see how he develops, uh, and maybe he will, but, um, the only person he's really seemed to have some sort of connection with is his college tight end, uh, Albert. I'm going to try not to screw up his last name, Albert Okuwebunam. Um, like they need to, I don't want to say they need to get him more involved, but I feel like they would do really well in a two tight end set because Albert O is just like so dynamic. Uh, and like he has that, you know, hashtag shower narrative connection with Drew Locke, where anytime Locke throws him the ball, uh, Albert O seems to catch it. So, uh, I don't know, like, and maybe that actually drags Fant down a little bit where if they end up bringing uh, Albert O more into the offense, that limits what Fant can do. But uh, I'm still optimistic on Fant, optimistic on Judy, optimistic on Albert O. But in order for all that optimism to end up paying off at some point, it seems like we will need Drew Locke to take a step forward. Yeah, you know, it's odd the amount of optimism that you have seemed to have had or that you seem to have uh, for Denver, which is why I brought them up. Uh, let's move along, though. Corey Davis continues a strong year. He ranks 17th in PPR per game and 16th among wide receivers in total touchdowns. Of course, he missed weeks four through six. A.J. Brown obviously has been playing uh, really well also. Uh, Corey Davis, I actually think that this is going to continue. I am not sure if he's available in leagues, but he would be a must-add to me. I can't imagine that he's still hanging out, though. No, I, I'm sure he's not. I mean, wasn't it just a week ago I said every target that goes to Corey Davis is a crime against humanity? <laughs> it might have been. I, I feel like that was just a week ago. Um, yeah, I mean, Corey Davis's numbers are strikingly similar to A.J. Brown's, which, uh, I mean, I guess, like, okay, fine. Like, he's a he's a first-rounder. He's flashed a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe it continues. I... I'm a little pessimistic, but uh, that pessimism has been proven wrong so far by Corey Davis. So I should probably uh, stop being pessimistic when it comes to him. So Corey Davis actually um, has become one of my favorite players because of we talked about him in the summer and I tried to preface it like Corey Davis, like his career hadn't been as bad as it was. And your response was just like, uh, I was a complete moron, and I really enjoyed that response. So as a result now, I've become a big Corey Davis fan. I don't know if you that remember sounds, that. That sounds accurate. Yeah. I don't remember it. Um, I think I think your response was something like, are you out of your mind? It was something along those lines. So Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like something I would say. Uh, it was so insignificant to me at the time that I don't remember saying it, <laughs> but it sounds like something I would say. All right. Cooper caught 21 targets. Uh, Robert Woods scores a rushing touchdown. Um, good things for both of them. But what I want to talk about here is Josh Reynolds had nine targets for fantasy points in his last three games. He's gone for 12 and a half, 15.2 and 8.4. And also in his last three games has seen an average of more than seven targets. Tyler Higby has not really been a factor this year. Josh Reynolds, I think is at a point where he's the type of player that is starting to merit flex consideration. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, like Van Jefferson has just been banished to the bench. Like ever since uh, week two, like starting in week three, he's really been a non-entity. And Higby uh, is so inconsistent and he's just not getting the targets. 
uh, that like Reynolds is really taking away everything that we would have thought those two guys would get. Uh, and he's benefiting from it. It's not as if like he's really taking away from Cooper cup or Robert Woods all that much. Um, it's just, there's no number four wide receiver the way that there has been in the past and uh, really no tight end to speak of. So I do agree. Reynolds is uh, he's viable. Nice. Um, let's talk about the receivers in Chicago. Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney, both had solid outings. Um, Anthony Miller led the team in targets yesterday with 11. Then you had Allen Robinson at seven and Mooney at six. All three of the receivers went for 69 or more yards. Touchdowns for Robinson and Darnell Mooney. You have Nick Foles playing quarterback there now. I think we've talked about these guys a couple of times throughout the season. Uh, but as far as this trio goes... Do you think that it's at a point where we can really consider Miller and Mooney week to week in addition to Robinson? No, uh, I, I don't. Uh, it's nice that Miller saw, um, you know, kind of like season highs and snaps played and targets. Uh, and, you know, Mooney has been out there, but he's been very inconsistent just because of the connection with Nick Foles. Um, so, I mean, if you are desperate, uh, especially during the bye weeks uh, and you're in a deeper league, then yeah, I, I can definitely see starting one of those guys. But I would say like, ideally you wouldn't be in a situation where you have to start one of them. I, I do think Alan Robinson is the only guy that you really want to be starting um, within the skill position group, uh, or at least these wide receivers. Um, and, and by the way, I should just say like, we should uh, take note of how horrible his quarterback play has been basically for the entirety of his career, like going back to college. Uh, and, you know, some of that is, I wouldn't say that like his fault, like he could have signed with another team after leaving Jacksonville chose to sign with the uh, Trubisky bears. But uh, anyway, it's, it's sad for him that uh, he's in this quarterback hell. I don't know uh, who I really wish I could remember who it was that had the, had put the tweet out. Um, but basically what it concluded was that his best quarterback has been the year that he was out with an ACL where he basically yeah. didn't have a quarterback that uh, I wouldn't say that that was me, but I, I put out the tweet about uh, Bortles quarterbacks and put 2017 torn ACL. Okay, and, then right. there, and then there were like 20 people who made the joke about torn ACL might be his best quarterback. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there we go. All right. Amazing how quickly the uh, same jokes get recycled on uh, Twitter, isn't it? Yes. Uh, it sort of evidence of, uh, I don't want to say like groupthink or something, but like I can see how people arrive at the same cash game lineups independently when you <laughs> see like 20 people on Twitter all making the same joke. Right. You know, also, and I'm going to get a little off track here, but it's one of the reasons that I, I really dislike small talk because I feel like so often people make the little joke that, to me seems so obvious. And I'm like, in your mind, before you make a joke, you should go through one or two options first and then go with the third. Because often people are all thinking the first or, or second joke. I didn't know that the requirements needed uh, to talk to you were so high. Uh, I will try to up my game. Okay, I appreciate that. All right, now that I've got uh, you know my pretentiousness out of the way, have we talked about John Brown in a couple of weeks? I don't think we have. Okay. Unfortunately, he's basically disappeared from the Bills passing attack. It's really become Cole Beasley and Diggs. Is there any reason to be holding on to John Brown, do you think, Matt? Uh, I mean, I, probably not. Uh, the I think the pro case would be that uh, he was good early in the year when he wasn't injured, and he's been dealing with, uh, I think, like lingering hamstring or knee issues. Uh, for the past month or so, and that if that can ever get resolved, uh, maybe he could go back to being the guy that he was. Uh, and like, it's a volatile type of player. So maybe there's one week where you need someone who just like has some upside uh, in a tough matchup that you have, and he scores a long touchdown. Like that's kind of the optimistic scenario. But in general, I think he's probably someone you can move away from. Got it. Um. Is John Brown in your list of maybe top five or so players that you have some type of an attachment to from your career as a fantasy analyst? Uh, 
probably. I mean, I still, I still have him in like my longtime dynasty league. That's more of like a like it's a it's a best ball, like a head to head best ball. So like he still has value in that format, and uh, you can't like you can't drop him in that format because someone will pick him up, but you can't really trade him because no one's going to pay what he's worth, even though he's really not worth all that much. So I still have him in that format, but like I had him to begin with because I liked him more than, you know, anyone else did when he was coming out of college years ago. So like, he's just been on that team for like, what at this point, like seven, eight years, you know? So uh, yeah, I probably still have like a sentimental attachment to John Brown. I think that one would have to say that you, you were right about John Brown. So um, kudos for that. But I think we can all tell there's clearly, clearly still some attachment. Josh Allen, we're really talking positively about him to open the season. It seems though that things have taken a turn for the worse. The completion percentage has started to fall. Yards per attempt are coming back down. Now you have Stefan Diggs sitting at the top of wide receiver boards in a lot of categories. He's been a real great asset for a lot of teams. Should there be any concern as we start to see Josh Allen's play at the quarter position, quarterback position trending downward that it might be hard for Diggs to keep it up? Maybe a little bit, but that connection has looked pretty good and Diggs is getting the volume needed to sustain it. Like Diggs is getting, you know, like anywhere from like 27 to like 32% target share, like pretty routinely. Uh, Like that's a a very elite mark. So even if uh, those targets become less efficient, I still think Diggs will be able to, uh, you know, to provide like I'd say mid range wide receiver one value uh, for the rest of the season. Um, so not too worried about digs um, and Josh Allen. I mean, yeah, the beginning of the season was great, um, but he probably is just kind of like the mid range quarterback one that everyone thought he was. Yeah. Which and, like, that's totally fine. Yeah. Like the, there's nothing wrong with like the production that he's giving. And I will say though, he has started to trend downward as a passer, I do think that he displayed enough at the beginning of the season that overall my opinion of him as a quarterback has improved because uh, I do think it speaks to some ability what he was able to, to do. Continuing, though, on digs, I also think it's important to note that the guy has been at almost 100 or more air yards every single week since week four. He's actually put up um, a whopper of 1.12 against New England. So like you said, there's still a lot of reasons to feel good about him, even if the quality of the targets does start to dip. Um, I don't even know how to jump into this, but uh, Jonathan Taylor, Indianapolis Colts, RB3? Uh, No. <laughs> Uh, no, I would say that he's probably still the RB one. Yeah. So fortunately, Philip rivers in his post game interview talked about Jonathan Taylor being nicked up, um, which contributed to the lack of presence of Jonathan Taylor. We saw, um, the other two backs on the team perform. Well, I want to talk though right now, just about Naheem Hines. He has two 20 plus games this season, only one over 10. Uh, but I can see how people might want to react to his performance against Detroit multiple touchdown game again, over 20 fantasy points. Is this the type of thing that he can carry forward or is Naheem Hines going to be one of those players that maybe you roster, but the challenge is knowing at any point in time, if you should start him or not. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's something that is consistent enough where you can, you can really justify starting him. Um, maybe if you're in a deeper league and you know, it's PPR and flex, then you can slot him in and he won't kill you. But, uh, I think in any given week, he has a really significant floor, where he could do almost nothing. And uh, I, mean, I wouldn't say like single-handedly he ruins your week, but uh, his floor is really low. Yes, um, completely agree, especially as we all know, if the team is in a game where it's ahead. 
by, you know, multiple touchdowns, the odds that he's getting really any usage are very low. What about Jordan Wilkins? If there's people that are wondering if they should try to pick him up off the waiver wire, maybe as a last resort that they can have at running back. Do you think that has any utility? He did rush 20 times for four and a half yards per carry, found the end zone one time, caught one of one target for 24 yards against the Lions. Uh, I mean, he should have already been rostered. Uh, like, I don't think you can start him, but he should have been rostered because he's the clear next man up in case Jonathan Taylor gets injured. You know, like, uh, I mean, maybe there are 63 other guys who should be rostered ahead of him. But like, we'll say he's number 64. Like, here, there are enough roster spots in a league where all of those guys should be on a team. Um, but you can't start him. He should definitely be rostered. Fair enough. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, going back two weeks, we said that he should be on the bench until things change. He's now gone 14 targets, 8 targets, has managed to go for 17.5, 13.7 fantasy points. Again, not what we would have liked heading into the season, but those are still numbers that aren't terrible. Have things changed? Is he back in lineups? Uh, I mean, I... I, I don't know. When I looked at the outline and saw this question, like my stomach just started to hurt. <laughs> um, like I don't, I don't think so. Like maybe, but the thing is, I think there's some flukiness with this recent volume. Like I doubt that he's going to be targeted with 11 targets per game for the rest of the season. And even with this volume, it's not as if he's become any more efficient. He's playing with a career low mark in efficiency. For this season, he has 6.9 yards per target. For this two-game stretch in which he's had uh, elevated volume, he is still exactly at 6.9 yards per target. So it's not as if he's being used any differently uh, in terms of like his ability to convert targets into yards, it's just that he's gotten more targets. So like, what do we think is more representative of what we're going to see from Juju for the rest of the season? A guy that in weeks one through six saw like five and a half targets per game or a guy who in weeks seven through eight saw 11 targets per game. Like maybe it's somewhere kind of in the middle but even if it settles around like seven or eight, seven or eight yards, uh, seven, seven or eight targets at 6.9 yards per target, like that's probably not going to be enough to really get you what you need. I think, so yeah. I would say, I would say like high floor, if, if that's the usage that he's getting, like high floor, you know, like wide receiver three, sure, that's fine. But it's still not that great of a situation. Yeah, I was going to say, in terms of the usage, I, I think that we probably have him fall out somewhere in the middle of the beginning stretch and what we've seen these last two weeks. Uh, if we were not at week eight, where injuries have started to have their impact, there's more teams going on by, I don't think that we'd be saying he has a very compelling case in being in lineups for a lot of teams, but I think we are at that point where he gets I, into consideration wide receiver yeah. three just because of where we are. If we were drafting the season again, I am not sure that I'd be drafting him on my team, expecting him to be a starter, despite what we've seen the last two weeks. It is encouraging that the team looks very good. Their schedule, the Steelers, sets up fairly nicely Four wide receivers. They have a tough matchup with Baltimore in Week 12, although, you know, he just did okay. Other than that, it's largely green, except the game against Washington in Week 13. Um, so it's a little bit more hopeful. But like you said, the targets were up a little bit, but overall, not a whole lot changed. One more question for you, Matt, before we take a break. Explain to me how in the year 2020, I am saying that Samaj P. Ryan rushed for a touchdown in 32 yards on 10 attempts. I, I mean, there is no explanation, except this is sort of the type of thing that happens at running back, and uh, it's the year 2020. Like, uh, we should have anticipated this, <laughs> honestly. Oh, man. I really did not expect that I would ever be saying Samaj P. Ryan ever again after I don't even remember when the last time we would have mentioned him was. Uh the draft. 
his rookie, his rookie season, that would have been the only time when we really would have mentioned him. Yeah. All right. So on that note, let's take a quick minute to hear from our sponsors. Even though sports took a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So, J.K. Dobbins had a great day yesterday. 15 attempts, 113 yards, caught one at two targets, four eight yards, you know, it's funny, I say great day, but only got to 13 fantasy points. Nonetheless, though, this was the type of performance that we were hoping might signal a point in the season where Dobbins starts to get more usage and can really make an impact. We talked about rookie wide receivers last week, how we thought the class was doing. In terms of the rookie running back class, Matt, give me your overall perception of how it is doing. Then I want who ranks number one the rest of season, and then who you think ranks number one for Dynasty. Is it still CEH? So this... Sorry, I thought I still might be on mute. This no, class... Yep. Yeah. Uh, this class has been kind of disappointing. Yep. Um, which, like, it's not a surprise, uh, you know, if you've been watching football to this point in the season. Uh, Edwards Alaire had a clear chance to really establish himself. Uh, and it's not as if he's totally blown it, um, but he just hasn't been nearly as dynamic within that offense as uh, I think everyone, most people at least expected he would be, uh, especially as a pass catcher. He just, he really hasn't been there. Um, Cam Akers, I just, I don't even know what to say. Uh, hopefully he will have some sort of second year breakout. Uh, Jonathan Taylor has really disappointed um maybe some of it is that he's just not healthy but uh i i don't know like some of it is that he just looks like he's actually not a very good running back which uh is problematic considering that like the running part of it was the thing that he was supposed to have locked down um and then after that obviously Dobbins as someone who's been on the sidelines for a lot of the time now starting to get an opportunity, but even then he's having to split it with Gus Edwards, Deandre Swift. Uh, it's hard to know really what to expect from him, uh, given that he's splitting work with Adrian Peterson and still carry on Johnson to an extent. Swift has looked good in uh, a few games, but still hasn't really been able to get much of a workload. Antonio Gibson uh, has been intriguing, but, still kind of looks like someone who is figuring out the running back position. 
Uh, and then, you know, after that, it's just a, a whole bunch of people who are like, oh, do we want to talk about Keyshawn Vaughn? You know, like there's really no one after those guys. Um, of course, all of them for James have, Robinson. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Which, like course. he doesn't even the, feel like he's un, in a conversation because it's so undrafted. Field, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then, and then James Robinson coming out of nowhere, uh, like he's been awesome. Uh, but it also feels like he might be slowing down a little bit because that offense is, uh, I wouldn't say it's going off the rails, but there are just a lot of moving parts and that offense is kind of in transition with the exception of Robinson, um, who is free, basically, uh, all of the running backs that you would have identified as guys who might have a chance to break out as rookies and establish themselves in dynasty leagues for the next, you know, three to five years, all of those guys have kind of underwhelmed. Um, and so it's disappointing in that regard. Uh, I would still have Edwards Alaire number one in dynasty um, for rest of the season. I think I would probably go with Taylor above Edwards Alaire at this point. Cause I still think Taylor will see the majority of the work in his backfield and Edwards Alaire might end up uh, losing too much to Le'Veon Bell, especially in the receiving game and at the goal line. So I give the slight nod uh, this year to Jonathan Taylor um, rest of season, but it, it is pretty close. And I still have Edwards Alaire as the number one in Dynasty. Yeah. So my take on it is this has been a disappointing year. There's no question about it, especially when this was a class that I really think a lot of people thought it wasn't a stretch to say we were going to get another three, maybe even four players that were going to perennially be first round picks in redraft leagues. It felt like we were going to get a class that maybe had an Ezekiel Elliott type player, maybe had a Christian McCaffrey player or something approximating that maybe had a Dalvin Cook in it something along those lines. And while that hasn't happened, I do think that we will see a couple of these guys rebound a little bit next year, and there are going to be some of them that will be fantasy fixtures. Maybe they're not scoring 20 points a game, but they will still be on rosters. Um, the thing that makes it hard, though, is a lot of them, especially at the top of the list, have had a lot of chance to make an impact and just hasn't felt like they fully seized it. So what do you do with them in Dynasty, right? That's the big question. I think that what makes it challenging right now is their value to the people that drafted them hasn't fallen enough that it makes it a good point for you to be able to go out as a buyer and get them for what you feel like is a good price. Um, so that's going to be the challenge right now. Um, I'm going to steer us a little bit differently, though. Honestly, as we were talking about this, this thought popped into my head, and I think it just shows that I still have a ridiculous amount of adoration for Giovanni Bernard. How much better would Giovanni Bernard right now be in Kansas City getting the work that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire himself? Shouldn't Kansas City have just made a move and acquired Giovanni Bernard instead of using a first-round pick? Uh, yeah, I mean, Geo is like the original Rizalaire, just in terms of like their body types and the way he was used in college and then the way he was used early in his career. Like the best case scenario for Edwards Alaire uh, as a rookie would be doing something similar to what Giovanni Bernard did in his first three seasons. You know, uh, like that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, I love Andy Reid, but it seemed like a stretch to to draft Edwards Alaire. Uh and I mean the fit seemed perfect um once it happened kind of like regardless of uh maybe the mistake to draft him uh with a, a first round pick. Um but uh yeah it hasn't worked out. Maybe it would have been better to uh to go with Giovanni Bernard. But I mean it, it just seems like that's not something that's sexy, you know? Like uh Yeah it definitely isn't I mean, you know, what are they going to do? Be like, okay, we're we're trading a fifth rounder for Giovanni Bernard and we're going to build our offense around him. Like, that's just, that's not something that's going to happen. So, you know, the other kind of related thought to this, this morning, well, I was getting my dog breakfast and uh, I have to, I have to. Were, were you shaving? Were no, you I trimming wasn't your shaving. Beard? No, I wasn't trimming my beard. This is, this is the cave-in corollary for this, right? Um, 
we're going off track here a little bit. I don't care. So Phoebe the dog, who has made many appearances, as many small dogs do, does not have good teeth. She has a lot of teeth problems. Yeah. I've I've spent a lot more money on this dog's mouth than I would care to admit, uh, but you do what you have to for your dog, right? Anyway, yeah. so to get her to have more comfort in eating in the morning and get her to calm down and let me do the things I need to do, I run her food under hot water through a sieve for about a minute, get it nice, soft, and moist, and I sprinkle a little cheese on it. I have no idea why, but as I'm doing that this morning, what pops into my head, <laughs> but the fact that the Patriots used a first-round pick on Sony Michelle, yeah. was it two years ago now? I think it was two years ago now. Yeah. Or was it three years ago? I can't. Three, even, three years three, ago. Wow, that's nuts. He's he's in his third season now. In his third season, just thinking about with how depleted this team feels right now in talent, which is not where you want to be. The fact that uh, we used a first round pick on Sony Michelle just came back and really haunted me. And then I had the thought of all of the conversations that I had with people around here saying to me, oh, you know, well, clearly Belichick must have saw something in him. You know, Belichick, you know, of course, Belichick knows more than me. But in this case, I am still very miffed. I'm still very worked out about it. And that's my diatribe. I think everybody realizes that pick made no sense. Just like taking CEH, they could have been so much better off with Giovanni Bernard. I'm now thinking through all of the other running backs that if we wanted somebody, we could have gone out and and, and acquired I'm going to cut it right there. We're going off the rails. Um, I apologize. Uh, no, it's totally fine. I, I mean, the most fascinating thing about what you said was the dog food uh, <laughs> with the, the sieve and the cheese on top of it. I, I feel like that deserves more of an exploration, but we probably shouldn't. Uh, let's just, let's get on. All right. Let's get on with uh, it. Yeah. Marquise Brown. Okay. Now we're in what I'm calling long-term questions on, on the show sheet here. Um, is he in a bad situation is he just an average player or is he an average player in a bad situation? We've talked about him before, uh, but you know, you have him getting frustrated on Twitter, managed to score a touchdown, salvage the day, getting to seven points. But um, I think that there's reasons if you're somebody that's been believing in Brown that you start to get worried. Yeah. What is, um, okay. So what is encouraging is that he's still, you know, pretty consistently uh, the leader on the team and targets, uh, and, you know, for the season has, I believe, a target share of around like 25%. Like that's, that's pretty healthy, especially for a guy who's more of a field stretcher and, uh, you know, like a smaller player. So that's good. The problem is that um, even when he leads the team in targets, it's not that many targets because the, especially this year, uh, the Ravens are playing slow. It's not just that they are uh, focused on the run uh, just as they were last year. It's that they're playing much slower than they did last year. And so there are just fewer, uh, you know, receiving opportunities for him. And then the targets that he's getting, like in general, it's good, you know, for there to be air yards. Uh, Josh Herms Myers talked about this, you know, a high A dot like that. That tends to be a good thing for a receiver. Uh, it means his targets tend to be more valuable, but it also means that he's more volatile. Um, and it also means that uh, from at least the PPR perspective, he's less likely to turn those targets into receptions. Uh, and so that hurts him from the PPR perspective. Uh, and then like the quality of his targets in theory, it's good because they are downfield, but in reality, those targets are bad because they're not accurate at all. Um, there's just something wrong with the connection between Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown. So even though he's being targeted down the field, uh, he's not able to convert those targets into yards. So it's a bad situation. I, I think he's probably an above average player, uh, just based on what he did in college and the flashes that we've seen out of him in the NFL. But, uh, it's certainly a negative situation. Yeah, so he has been a wide receiver, too, in 14% of games this season. Has not been a wide receiver one. It is interesting that he ranks 11 in air yards, 11 in whopper, but from an expected points perspective, only ranks in at 42 and actually has only gone over 10 expected points three times this season in eight games. Um, Like you said, the pace has definitely played a role in that. Um, I think also that um, 
a lot of things worked out for Baltimore last year in its passing game. Those things have not come to pass this year. Um, all right, I kind of went on a little bit of a Patriots rant here. Uh, I'm still going to toss this question out to you, though. Um, New England, lots of challenges with injury. We've seen James White kind of disappear, which is something that um, I was really not expecting. Would you play any player in this offense in redraft lineups for the rest of the season? And when you look at this team for fantasy purposes in comparison to offenses like the Jets, uh, where is this team? Like, this feels to me like it's at the absolute bottom of the barrel, scraping for fantasy points right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you actually could play Cam Newton if you really needed to because mm-hmm. of the rushing production. Uh, and maybe you could play Damian Harris in oh, uh, standard yep. in yep. standard formats. Um, but, uh, no, the wide receivers are totally uh, hands-off. They really don't even have a tight end at this point. Um, and, uh, yeah, James White, it's weird. You would have expected him to be a guy who, who could still emerge, uh, you know, who could gift Cam Newton with really easy completions, but they just haven't been using him in that way. So, uh, yeah, but Newton and Harris, they're the two guys I think you could probably get away with using. But, I mean, they're better than the Jets, um, but there aren't many other teams they're better than like I'm I'm struggling to come up with other teams that that they are better than yeah, yeah. Uh, the the Giants maybe the Giants actually I still don't have like a lot of respect for the Giants offense and what they're doing yeah that's probably fair you know the crazy thing to me was that the team somehow managed to be fairly competitive with Buffalo I I thought it was yeah. just going to be an absolute like you know debacle uh, for New England, but it actually ended up being a pretty close game. So, yeah, I mean, I think that speaks to how good Belichick and and the coaching staff actually is. Um, I mean, Belichick's worst enemy has been himself as a general manager, but uh, you know, if he were just able to coach and he could have a general manager who could actually like be the person responsible for finding talent. Um, because right now, like, look at who who they have. They're throwing to like three guys, all undrafted. <laughs> you know, like they need to have more talent out there, uh, and it's it's purely the fault of the talent evaluator, and that's Belichick. Like, but the reason why this team is so good is because Belichick can you know coach up the talent and and scheme. But uh, man, I mean, yeah this this is an offense that is bereft of playmakers. Yeah, you know, the the other interesting thing that I have found, too, about the conversation on the narrative of the Brady versus Belichick battle is it feels like a lot of people are starting to really anoint Brady as the clear winner. Uh, but I look at this team, there was a lot of very significant opt-outs for COVID. Um, this is a team that's not been at 100%. You know, you've had a couple of weird things happening with James White missing games, different things. And yes, the team has not won a lot of games, but it doesn't feel to me like this is a sample where you can really start to pick apart and say that, you know, Belichick has really failed um, because it has been a very odd year. Uh, So we will see. Uh, Yeah, I think I think this is a pretty clear failure. Okay, is it? Well, okay. I would say it is in that there hadn't been enough foresight in injecting talent into this team looking forward. And that had been a concern of mine for a couple of years. So it almost is like going back to what you said about more of the general manager perspective and like a overall roster management, if you will. I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, I would say subjectively. I would say they've done, they've done a really good job with the talent that they have. They've done a horrible job of accumulating talent. All right, perfectly fair. People are probably tired of hearing about New England unless they're reveling in the fact that now the team is getting talked about from a very negative perspective. Another solid performance for Travis Fulgham. Is it time to try and trade for him in Dynasty Leagues? Uh, I don't know. I mean, because whoever has him now, I think is just going to like free roll him. You know, so like that the person who has him is just living the dream. They're going to continue to start him. And they're going to get, you know, like eight to 12 targets per game from him. Um, I don't know why someone would trade him 
uh, because he's basically like free money. And at this point, you just sort of like let you let it ride. See, and maybe he turns into like a, a top 12 wide receiver. I get that. I think. All right. So let me say it differently. As a buyer, what would you be willing to outlay for Fulgham right now in terms of a draft pick? Because I think that if you want if somebody out there wanted to take the stand that they feel like there's been enough signal, despite the fact that there's not a lot of other options in Philadelphia, but there's enough signal to conclude that Fulgham is a good wide receiver and they want to flirt with the idea of floating out a, a first rounder, which I think would be too much, but maybe a second rounder. Do you think that an owner might make that flip and saying to themselves, okay, things aren't going to be like this for him next year. He's probably not as good as Jalen Rager. When Dallas Goddard's back at full strength, the team has Miles Sanders. He's going to get phased out. Maybe I should cash in on this and take that second rounder. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just think that and maybe I'm biased because of the league that I'm in, like the main dynasty league I'm in. Um, I think it's really hard to get dynasty trades done um, for a few reasons, but you know, we can use Fulgham here as the example. Um, I think whoever has him is not going to want to part with him and whoever wants to trade for him isn't going to want to give up what is required to get him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because whoever has him is going to be viewing him from like the most optimistic perspective and whoever is trading for him, even though that person has to be somewhat optimistic because they want him, they're still going to see the downside that he presents. And so I think there's, in many cases, in a lot of trades, uh, there's just this gulf between like the valuations that people have on the players under discussion. That and the other thing that I've been noticing a lot of lately is sometimes people just want to trade and feel it necessary to fire off trades to other teams with combinations of players that make no sense. Um, I will. I have one team, and I know people hate to hear, you know, other people talk about their teams, but I, I just think it's an interesting example where I honestly have seven of what I would say are like the top twenty-eight dynasty wide receivers, and there's still a couple of owners that will float me out trades to try and procure one of my draft picks for a receiver, and it's like, are you even looking at my roster before you are offering this up? Uh, which brings me no. back to the point of no, they're not. Um, you are right though in that in dynasty, there's often this this divide between, um, you know, the value stated on both sides, and I think that generally people don't look um, at the entire process of of considering trades for their team, accepting them, offering them through the right lens. But we probably don't have time to delve into that right now. Let's get to: Are you panicking? Are you panicking on Hunter Henry? Uh, no. He's still getting enough targets and has enough expected points uh, per game to where, uh, you know, he's pretty much, I think he's probably going to finish roughly around where he did last year. Okay. Um, Four targets, Matt, against Denver, just 33 yards. Only three receptions, 23 yards against Jacksonville. Four receptions, 23 yards against New Orleans. Did get a touchdown. Uh, two, rece- two receptions on three targets against Tampa Bay, only 39 yards. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the avenue here that you're just assuming because tight ends largely suck that this is why you're not panicking. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he's a mid range to low end tight end one. Um, that's probably what he was always going to be this year. So I feel like Hunter Henry for a while has had some type of luster attached to the name should that luster now be gone? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. That I can get on board with. Uh, are you panicking on Amari Cooper? Terrible game last night. <laughs> May have sunk my main event team, Mike Beers and I, unfortunately, um, because we also had George Kittle on that team. I am very upset with Amari Cooper right now. Are you panicking on him? Uh, yeah. I mean, it has more to do with that Cowboys offense than with Amari <laughs> Cooper. Yep. But uh, yeah, I mean, everyone in that offense is pretty much hands off. Oh, boy. All right. What about uh, Miami Dolphins wide receivers? Given what we saw from Tua, um, did not pass very much. I believe only accumulated 93 yards through the air. Um, It's not going to be a situation where every week the Dolphins get a defensive touchdown and a special teams touchdown. So uh, we will see more opportunities for the Dolphins wide receivers moving forward. But uh, yes, I think it clearly is a negative go from Fitzpatrick to Tua, at least based on what we saw last week. 
Yes, perfectly fair. Uh, to try to get a more optimistic lens on a player from Miami, in terms of his career perspective, Miles Gaskin surprised a lot of people this year coming in, taking over just about all of the backfield usage in Miami, given how bad Matt Breida has been and that the other competition was Jordan Howard. Perhaps maybe we should have seen this coming more, but from a career perspective, where are you on Miles Gaskin? Are you optimistic? I mean, he's looked pretty good, especially in the games with Jordan Howard out. But uh, at the same time, he also feels like the kind of back who has one decent season and then gets replaced by a uh, much more pedigreed back. So I'm kind of pessimistic, even though I think for the rest of the season, he keeps up what he's done. Okay, that is fair. Uh, let's now, uh, talk about, um, actually let's, let's jump to this one first. Then I will ask you about just the AFC in general. Is DK Metcalf a top six dynasty wide receiver? Yeah, uh, I think so. It would be pretty hard to have him outside of the top six. Yeah. So, I mean, the man is an absolute monster. We've talked about that before. So impressive athletically in terms of the question that surrounded him coming out of college as to why AJ Brown was the player at Ole Miss that ended up shining through more uh, in comparison to DK Metcalf. At this point, it looks like there is a pretty serious conversation to have about which is the player that actually was better. Do you think we can opine at this point that DK Metcalf actually was the best wide receiver from that class? Um, I don't know. Cause we I mean, know it definitely would say... wasn't in kill Harry. That's that's obvious. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, like at this point now, out of all the wide receivers who were in that class, I would say that he's the best. Um, I think at the time there was uh, a serious conversation between AJ Brown. Metcalf was probably in there, but like it could have been a number of guys. Uh, Brown was the guy I liked the most. Um, because of his physical profile and the fact that he was actually productive. And I would say that at the time, I think he was the better prospect. Um, I think Metcalf was, uh, I wouldn't say lucky, but um, like if he had landed with another team, we could easily see how things wouldn't be going the way that they're going now. Uh, I think a, a significant part of his production has been the connection that he's had with Russell Wilson. Um, I'd say on the field, but then also uh, like if you've listened to interviews, like him talking about uh, kind of like mentoring Metcalf in terms of like helping him think about the offense, like focus on his route running, focus on like his body, just, you know, like I think Wilson has been a really good influence on Metcalf. Uh, and has helped him develop in a way that a lot of wide receivers don't get the opportunity to develop in the NFL, or maybe they get the opportunity, but they just, they don't because they, they don't have the, uh, they don't have the encouragement or they, they don't have the, the support system. So uh, I do think that Brown before Metcalf two years ago uh, in rookie drafts made sense. Um, but Metcalf has clearly developed uh, beyond Brown, I think, at this point. You know, the other thing that probably helps a lot, I think, is him being in the configuration at wide receiver where he's playing with Tyler Lockett. Yes. Uh, that, I think, has opened up a lot for him and definitely gave him a very conducive situation. Um, Brown, Here's, I, yep, here's one ahead. random question. Yep. If Brown were on the Seahawks <laughs> instead of Metcalf, do you think Brown would be having this level of success or something pretty close to it? And then if Metcalf were on the Titans, do you think Metcalf would be doing what Brown is doing? I think that if Brown were on the Seahawks, he'd be doing something close to what Metcalf is doing. Might not be quite as dominant, but I think he would be doing it in a slightly different way. However, I think if you put Metcalf on a team like Tennessee – with Ryan Tannehill and company, I'm not sure that he gets used in a way that really capitalizes yeah. or maximizes what he's able to do. Uh, as I really feel like Seattle has found a way to optimize everything that he can do and the things that he can do well, I just feel like that would not be happening to the extent that it is in Tennessee. Yeah, that I, I think that's right. Okay. Um, all right, my final question for you, Matt, here is about 
the Steelers and the Chiefs. And I'm wondering if you believe that at this point in the season, the Steelers and Chiefs are just a cut above the rest of the a- of the AFC. Or do you think that, um, you know, maybe Baltimore still is in that conversation or perhaps one of those teams is actually removed from the other? I think Baltimore is still in the conversation, but like a, a half tier. Uh, I do think it is the Chiefs and the Steelers. The Steelers are just super balanced. Um, and I think like in Mike Tomlin's entire tenure with the Steelers, he's never had a losing season. He's had, you know, a couple 800, uh, sorry, eight and eight seasons, you know, like a couple 500 seasons, but he's never had a season where they actually had a losing record, which just kind of speaks to the consistency Um like year in and year out and how good they are at just building the roster. Um, And I think that's all coming into fruition and like lining up with what is happening this year with the Steelers where like Ben Roethlisberger isn't the best version of himself. Um, He doesn't seem to have the, I don't know, like the downfield throwing ability that he had in past seasons. Um, But there's something that is just working with this offense and they are so well-rounded that I think they can compete with pretty much anybody. Um, you know, but the Chiefs, of course, like, I mean, they're they're still the Chiefs. Like, I mean, they have Patrick Mahomes. Their offense is fantastic, and their defense is good enough to where they can, uh, they can compete with anybody. Uh, even, I think, in, you know, like on the road, let's say, like, somehow the Steelers get the number one seed. I think the Chiefs would still have a decent chance on the road in the playoffs going into Pittsburgh and winning that game. Um, but I do think those are the top two teams uh, with Baltimore a half tier below. Uh, I mean, Baltimore's offense, it could improve. Uh, I think if things go just a little bit differently last week, they beat they beat Pittsburgh pretty handily. The fact that they were able to run all over them, well, I mean, maybe that doesn't mean anything. Like the running, running game doesn't even matter. But like... Uh, they could have won that game Uh, and they still have a defense that is good enough to be able to uh, slow down the best offenses in the league. So uh, yeah, but Pittsburgh, Kansas city, those are the the two teams uh, at the top of the AFC. And I should just say as good as Russell Wilson has been, um, I still think that there's value on Patrick Mahomes to win MVP. Um, (laughs) You know, like, honestly, like Mahomes has been playing at an MVP type of level, something that is very similar to what he did two years ago when he won MVP. Uh, It's going to come down to whoever has a a good season and has a team that is a top two seed. And the Chiefs have a really good chance of getting there. And, uh, I mean, obviously, so do the Seahawks. But you could see how the Seahawks lose more games because their defense is not good. Uh, and there are you know two other teams in the Rams and the Cardinals who in any given game can give the Seahawks as much as they can handle. So we could see a situation where the Seahawks aren't the number one seed. <laughs> Maybe they lose two or three more games and we're looking at a Chiefs team that is 15 and one or 14 and two and Mahomes has a season that is pretty much just as good as the MVP season that he already had at that point, you have to think it's at least 50, 50, maybe not quite 50, but like something approaching a coin toss between who wins the MVP award. Like, and I say that like with total respect, respect for Russell Wilson and how great that offense has been. I just think there is some value still on Mahomes to win MVP. Okay. Fair enough. You know, I do not really follow things like this. My one thought would be, I feel like on some level, Mahomes gets dinged for playing in the offense that he does maybe in this equation because there's so much talent and it just feels like there is going to be the creation of this narrative behind Wilson that might propel him there. Yeah, I mean, he he clearly has, Wilson clearly has the narrative in his favor. Uh, last I saw, Wilson was around like even odds, like plus 100 to win MVP. Mahomes was around plus 400. Like it just feels like a pretty big discrepancy where I wouldn't look at Wilson and say like, he's four times as likely as Patrick Mahomes to win the award. I mean, that math isn't like perfect, but you get, you get what I'm saying. Like 
I don't think that it really works out where there's that big of a discrepancy between those two guys. Got it. Uh, do you have time for one more question? Yeah. Okay. Um, my brother will randomly call me with these different bets that he wants me to agree with him on. Uh, the one that I got Sunday was he'd found a uh, line that he liked um, where it was, I forget what the, you know, like what the the actual like payout was on it. But the, the basically the thing that we were debating was, will the team that wins wins the NFC East have eight wins? And he, he wanted to take the under and he felt like it was about as, you know, good of a chance as you could get on something that the team would not get to eight wins. What do you think? My, my gut would say that he's probably right. Um, but, you know, statistically speaking, he's probably wrong. Yeah, that's basically what I was cutting at. I was saying, yes, if we go through when we look at the schedules, it's very easy to get to the idea that a team is not going to do it, especially because they're each playing each other two times in there. So then you need one team really to sweep it to even have a chance. Then Philly has a couple of tough games against like New Orleans, Green Bay, I think Arizona. But like you said, if you look at this and you remove and you zoom out, it's one of those things that very, very rarely are you going to have a team win a division with less than eight wins. So I was trying to talk him out of it. He eventually ended up doing it. Um, but so it seems like you're kind of on the side with me that it's not as much of a lock as he may have felt. Yeah. I mean, what helps him is that uh, there's a tie in there so far um, instead of that being a win. So that does improve the odds for him, but uh, I would still, uh, I would still be inclined to say that uh, we see a team get to eight wins. Got it. All right. Well, I'm going to let him know that you said that and he's going to be very disappointed. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> okay. All right. That does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Indeed and Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. 